God's word in Luke 2 beginning verse sorry Luke 12 beginning in verse 22 says And Jesus said to his disciples Therefore I tell you do not be anxious about your life what you'll eat nor about your body what you will put on for life is more than food and the body more than clothing Consider the ravens they neither sow nor reap they neither have storehouses nor barns and yet God feeds them of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil, toil, toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow soon in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let's pray. Lord, would you use these words to stir our hearts, to put our greatest treasure in you. That as we go through life, we wouldn't be overwhelmed with worry and anxiety and fear, but we would be overwhelmed with faith and worship of you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, you feel restless, wound up, on edge. You're exhausted, but you can't fall asleep. However, somehow you know you did because you wake up and it's the middle of the night and now you can't fall back to sleep. Your mind races over the same issue again and again like a song stuck on a loop in your mind. You can't stay focused on task, and what should take you minutes seems to drag on to take you an hour. You are filled with anxiety. And sometimes those anxieties go from, grow from distracting us to debilitating us. They seem to control us, and we at times can literally be brought to our knees. Some people have a fear of heights, and you may have seen online, there's this bridge in China that's 850 feet in the air, it's made of glass, and one part of the bridge has a screen on it. It doesn't look like a screen, but when you step on it, it begins to crack, or at least give the image of cracking. And people literally fall on their knees and have to be dragged off of this bridge as they think they're about to plummet to their death. Now, it might not be heights for you, but perhaps traffic, water, certain creatures, even people, just going around people makes you anxious and nervous. Maybe a cold sweat comes over you. Your heart beats faster. Your legs seem to turn to rubber. You may hyperventilate. You're unable to get control without help. And along with these physical effects, Proverbs 12:25 says, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down. We can be anxious people. Our loved ones, our country, our health, 
Many other things can suffocate us with worry. We know this anxiety hurts us, but we seem incapable of doing anything about it. What can we do to get control of our anxieties? Well, maybe we can sing, don't worry. Be happy. Or we can sing, akuna makata. What a wonderful phrase. It means no worries for the rest of your days. And you can sing about your problem-free philosophy, but then you're still filled with your worries. You can sing lighthearted songs and they're fun for the moment, but then reality comes back and, like laundry, never seems to go away. Now you can go to your doctor, you can get medication, but even the National Institute of Mental Health writes, medications don't cure anxiety disorders, but they can help relieve symptoms. So that relief may be helpful, but we need something more. And this morning in our passage, Jesus is showing us that we need to stop and think. We need to use our brains and consider seven things. Though it will be a battle, Jesus is saying you can win the battle over anxiety by considering seven things. If you have a bulletin, you can see these on the back. We need to consider the meaning of life. We need to consider your greater value than birds. We need to consider our impotence. Consider our greater value than plants. Consider our loving Father. Consider our shepherd's gift. And consider our worship. But first, we need to consider the meaning of life. Now Luke wrote this in a masterful way. Right before this, in Luke 12, 13-21, he told of Jesus' story about the rich man who was greedy and thought that life consisted in the abundance of possessions. And yet greed destroyed this man's life. It got us focused off the giver of all gifts to the gifts of God. And thus Jesus clearly said in Luke 12, 15, right before this, one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Fools, he was telling them, only care about themselves, but the wise richly respond to God and God's image. And here, Jesus continues on this theme, but now looks at it from a different angle, and that is worry. You don't have to be rich to let money control you. You can worry over money, whether you're rich, poor, middle class, or somewhere in between those. Thus, Jesus commands them not to be anxious of their life and what they will eat, nor should they be anxious about their body and what will clothe them. Now, these two common anxieties food, clothing, they really stand for a summary of all the anxieties and the worries we might have. And Paul, we need to realize, shows us that anxiety is not a problem in and of itself. Because Paul writes, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight: Apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Anxiety, worry, fear, those are good gifts God has given us to respond, but it's when those things control us, when those things are running our life, that the problems exist. And that's what we need to do, is what Peter tells us, 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Yes, anxieties will arise, but what do you do with them? Do you meditate on them? Do you sit, sit there and think about them over and over? Or do you cast them on the one who cares for you? And Jesus here is telling his disciples to trust him in all of life. 
And Jesus is going on to show that with the right perspective, the right thoughts, then our minds don't have to be crippled and controlled by anxieties, but controlled by Him. Now, as you wait for that doctor's report, you'll still have anxious thoughts about what it will be, but it doesn't have to shut down your life. As you see the time getting closer and closer, and you're going, oh, it's going to be my turn to speak next. And you think, oh, speaking in front of people, my greatest fear. You may still get anxious, but it doesn't have to cripple you. And Jesus gives the first reason to not be anxious in verse 23, and that is that our life is more than just our physical bodies. It's more than just food and clothing and shelter. You consider Jesus. After Jesus was baptized, the Spirit led him into the wilderness. And following 40 days and nights of fasting and prayer, Satan attacked Jesus with these words. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But how did Jesus reply? He replied, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus was showing that true life is not merely caring for the physical body, but ultimately the spiritual as well. You remember, God the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. He wanted him to be hungry. Now, in situations like that, imagine that type of hunger. I'm prone to think, well, I wouldn't really have acted that way if I hadn't been so hungry. You know, I wouldn't be so anxious if this circumstance in my life wasn't the way it was. You know, it's okay for me to be anxious because look at my circumstances. And yet Jesus, in the greatest moment of hunger, was not overwhelmed with physical anxieties because he realized that life is about more than physical things. He responded with faith, for he realized that the meaning of life is found in God, not merely what's needed for our body. And Jesus expands on this, though, because though man does not live by bread alone, that is not saying bread does not matter. He even taught us to pray. Our Father art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. So rather he's saying, look, he will provide, and so we don't need to be anxious. And you can attack this anxiety if you consider your greater value than the birds. This is verse 24. Consider the ravens. You know, God speaks to us through his word, but he also speaks to us through his created world. And Jesus wants us to consider what we would learn by pausing and reflecting on his care for the ravens, not raisins. Jesus taught out in the open. I'm sure as he's sitting there, birds are flying overhead. As people bring their five loaves and two fish and drop crumbs, I'm sure birds come in and steal a bite. The birds are all around them, and Jesus is saying, just look next to you, look at that bird. Where did it get the food? And he wants them to recognize God's care. You know, Jesus was great at using what's around us. And birds are everywhere. Birds are in the mountains. Birds are in the valleys. Birds are in the deserts. Birds are in the Antarctic. Birds are everywhere. And so Jesus is calling us to open our eyes to nature and see God's providential care for it. Now, ravens are interesting. They're mentioned in Scripture. They're the first animal that Noah sent from the ark. And ravens are also declared in Leviticus 11.15 to be unclean. And, you know, when you think about ravens, they, and we don't really think much about them. You may be with someone and they go, oh, look, there's a hawk. 
Or, oh, there's an eagle. Or, oh, did you see that owl? I don't remember anyone ever saying, oh, did you see the raven? They're just kind of like lots of them, and they're like grackles. Who wants them? They're just there. And yet, even for an unclean, worthless, we might say, bird, God still provides and cares for it. You know, ravens, they don't get out plows in the springtime. They don't prep the soil. They don't harrow the field, spread fertilizer, and then plant seeds. They don't harvest the grain. They don't have barns they put it all up in. Yet though they do, don't do that, God still feeds them. And this is really an argument what's called from the lesser to the greater. If God has cared for something as worthless and unclean as a raven, how much more is he going to care for you, the one who's in his image? The one he sent his son to die for. The one he calls child. A woman wrote a poem in 1857 called The Robin and the Sparrow. It goes, said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. When we know and consider the value that we have in God's eyes and that he is our father, then we can trust that if he cares for the ravens, how much more will he provide for you? Now, of course, that doesn't mean just sitting there waiting for food to appear at your door. God provides for us by having resources that we use and gather and then take care of. In other words, God may provide your daily bread by giving you a strong mind or back so that you can work, earn money, and buy bread. But trusting God means even if we can't do that, we can trust that we don't need to be anxious because we're not the decisive factor in our life. God is. And that really leads to the next one, that we need to consider the value of the birds, but also our impotence. Verses 25 and 26, Jesus asks, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as smallest thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And the clear answer of who can add an hour to their life is, nobody can do that. And the issues that matter most in this life, we have no control over them. You know, none of us sent a message to our parents saying, I'd like to be born. None of us picked what color hair we'd have, or eyes, or what family we'd be born into, what time we'd be born, how long we'd live. Right now, we don't control our heart, or our lungs, or our brain. Those are all called involuntary actions. They're going on without us consciously thinking about them. And Jesus thus concludes, look, if we can't even do the smallest thing about adding an hour to our life, then why are we anxious about the rest? You know, I don't know about you, but I've never sat around going, what if gravity stops working? I'll just float away. And I'll just go up and then I'll burn up as I go through the atmosphere. Why don't I worry about that? Because, well, if God ever did choose to cease gravity, what could I do about it? I don't have no control over gravity. It's there. And if we can't control something as basic as keeping our feet on the ground, then why would we worry about the rest? Jesus is saying it's futile. Thus, we have to face the fact that ultimately we are impotent, but... We are loved by the one who is omnipotent. 
Thus, rather than worrying, cast your anxiety on the one who can actually do something about it. Psalm 127, 1 and 2 declares, Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go to bed late, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. But you might be thinking, but pastor, this is the very reason I am anxious. I'm not in control. I want to be able to control my finances and my health and all these other things, but I know I can't control them, and that's what makes me scared. You know, I might show up in that group, and I'm going to say something, and they're all going to laugh at me. An accident might happen to my loved one, and they might get hurt. That test might come back with the diagnosis that I'm so afraid of. And yet, friends, we have to face reality. We have to face our fears. We have to face our anxieties. You know, growth doesn't come by faith, hope, and pixie dust. Overcoming sin, though empowered by God, only occurs with our effort to fight. You'll never defeat an enemy by continually fleeing from them. And you'll never overcome your anxieties if you downplay them or act as they don't exist. We're transformed. We're transformed. We're changed by the renewing of our mind. And so we have to look at our impotence in the eye, but again realize the love of the omnipotent one. Life is out of your control, but it's not out of the control of your father. And we also have to realize that not only does worry not help, but it also hurts us. It's estimated that stress cost, stress cost Americans more than $300 billion annually. And stress and anxiety can lead to high blood pressure, heart problems, diabetes, skin condition, arthritis. Thus, not only can you not lengthen your life with worry, you may ruin it. For Jesus now says, consider your greater value than plants. Verses 27 and 28. Jesus gives his fourth thing for us to consider about not being anxious and that is that you have greater value than plants. First, Jesus refers to a lily, verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And there was light. Today, if you want clothing, we go to a store. Maybe a new store, maybe a restore. But we purchase something that's pre-made, a pre-made shirt, pants, dress, and it began, began with a plant, maybe cotton, maybe flax, or it began with an animal, maybe their hair or their wool, but someone had to work it into a string, and then they had to combine that into bolts of fabric, and then they had to measure, outline, cut, and put it together. Your clothes are not easily accessible, yet the most finely dressed in all of creation is clothed by God himself, the lilies of the field. Again, Jesus has this look at God's revelation in nature to fight our anxieties. I'm sure as Jesus taught all around them, they're probably, look, look over here at this hill. Look at all these beautiful flowers. What did they do to come out so beautiful? Did they toil? Did they spin? Did they do everything to have such beautiful garments? Well, no. And even Solomon and all of his riches, he couldn't get anything like that. 
So Jesus then shifts to a second plant. Verse 28, the grass of the field. He says the grass is here today and gone tomorrow. In fact, it's so insignificant, it's thrown into the oven as fire. You know, Israel was not a land with many forests, so they would often use the grass to fuel their ovens. And so Jesus reminds them of an obvious truth. God values them more than grass. And you might be thinking, wow, pastor worked hard this week. He realized I have more value than grass. That was really deep. And yet the problem is not that these truths are so deep that you need someone to ponder. It's that we don't apply them to our life. For most of us, it's not that we don't have the right information, but we're not applying what we already know to be true. Are you living out of what is true or not? Because then Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith. To live a life of anxiety is to actually say, I'm of less value than grass. I'm of less value than a flower to God. To live a life of faith is to know if God clothes the flowers, if he takes care of the grass, how much more will he care for us? You know, Jesus minces no words and rebukes us for a little faith. He calls anxiety for what it is, a lack of trust in God and his care for us. Thus, Jesus says we must get our focus on God. In this case, Jesus now says you should consider your loving Father. This is verses 29 and 30. Verse 29. And do you not seek, and do not seek what you are to eat, and what you are to drink, nor be word, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Jesus continues here talking about food and drink. And his point again is not that you can't, after this, go home and seek out a ham and cheese. Or that you should never think about what you're going to wear or your clothing. It's that you shouldn't be worried about them. You shouldn't be hovering between hope and fear. You, know, you may have that constant pull back and forth between trust and fear, hope and anxiety. On Monday, you feel just fine. But you wake up Tuesday unable to think about anything else. By the afternoon, you pulled out of it only to go to bed or wreck all over again. You're being pulled back and forth. And Jesus is saying the antidote is twofold. First, realize, look, everyone in the world, the nations, they're all seeking these things. However, second, we can rest confidently because our Father knows that we need them. You're knowing God means so much more than being able to explain everything about systematic theology. Knowing God is living a life of trust daily with Him. Day by day, walking in the trust and knowledge that He's in control and loves you as your Heavenly Father. Thus, the solution is not found in a technique or meditative practice or pill. The solution to anxiety is knowing and trusting God. Jeremiah 17, 7-8 says it this way, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And we live in North Texas. We know the beginning of a drought can bring on the possibility 
of anxiety. The wait for a medical diagnosis has the potential for worry. The fact that your child or spouse is later than they said they would be coming home can lead to panic. However, Jeremiah is telling us, if our roots are planted deeply in God, then when the droughts of life come, we can still bear fruit of trust and hope, not worry and anxiety. But not only is God our Heavenly Father, He's also our shepherd. And Jesus shows that in verses 31 and 32. So consider your shepherd's gifts. 31. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. In contrast to not seeking all of those things, Jesus tells them to seek his kingdom. Put your efforts and desires into God and what he's doing in this world. You know, every other nation Every other business, organization, enterprise will fail, but God's kingdom will last forever. So Jesus then promises that if they do this, then all of the things of clothing and food will be added also. They can trust that he will provide and care as they seek his kingdom. Therefore, they don't need to fear. And he encourages us, he reassures them and strengthens us by calling them his little flock. Now, if you have a little flock, you know every one of them by name. You're not the shepherd who has so many that you go hire some other people out, and you're like, well, I don't really know. that They might know who those sheep are, but I don't know. Jesus calls us his little flock because he calls every sheep by name. And due to him, we shall have no want. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He restores our soul. He guides us and protects us so that we don't need to fear evil will overcome us. He, as our good shepherd, will cause our life to overflow with good things, and surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. So Jesus then says, For your Father is well pleased to give you the kingdom. You know, this is a really great promise. He just told us to seek his kingdom, and then he says, The Father wants to give it to you. You know, there's a lot of things in life that we seek after that we have no chance of getting. If I sought after being the gold medalist in the 100-meter dash, I'll never get it. In fact, of the 80 men or women, depending on which side, show up to the Olympics, only one of them is going to get it. 80 of the world's best athletes, only one. But any person, if they seek the kingdom of God through Christ, they We'll get it. And Jesus is saying, look, trust that your Father will give you what you're seeking after. You know, God gives himself and his kingdom to all who come to him through faith in Christ. There is none who come through Christ that he says, well, you're, yeah, you're the one who's not really going to get it. And if we're being a given a kingdom, why are we so anxious about food or clothes? Our God our good shepherd has given us much better gifts than we can ever dream of. Imagine you have an extremely wealthy grandfather. He calls you up. He says, I've just paid for an all-inclusive trip to the Bahamas. If you open your email, you'll find tickets for the airlines. You'll see in there vouchers that you can go to any restaurant you want. You'll see cash given to you. If you go turn in the receipt, enjoy the trip. I can't wait for us all to be there. Now, if your grandfather had done all of this, how foolish would it be until the time came to be sitting there going, 
Are there going to be peanuts on the flight? Are we going to have, are we going to have a snack till we get there? Well, he's given you an all-inclusive trip with everything. Why are you worried about peanuts? God has given his children a kingdom. Why are we worried about food and clothes for a couple years? If he's taking care of everything, then he'll take care of that. Your good shepherd has given you an everlasting kingdom. So rest in him. Know that he has a plan for us that is so much bigger and better than anything that worries us. And Jesus gives us one last consideration, and that is we must consider our worship. Luke 12, 33-34, the last couple verses. Consider our worship. And Jesus concludes in a rather shocking way. He says, sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And so Jesus concludes, look, you don't need to worry about your stuff. Just give it all away. Well, that doesn't seem to help. That's what I'm afraid of, is I'm not going to have anything. Now, of course, I don't believe Jesus is literally saying we should give it all away. But I do think he's calling us to be radical in our generosity because we realize he will provide for us. You may, at least the older people in the room, may remember the show The Facts of Life. And it was an actress, Lisa Wetchell. And at age 18, she was one of the stars of her show. She became a Christian, or she may have been a Christian. But in her autobiography, she talks about how she had her eyes open to what a privileged life she has. And she was convinced by some Christians that really what she should do is give away basically everything but 10% of her salary and live on it. It was a no-brainer. Like, she could still be wealthy on that 10%. But then she said that those around her, talked her out of it. You're extreme, you're irrational, you're living off false guilt. And so she said, you know, my resolve began to break. And then the weight of their arguments, it seemed full of logic and wisdom. So she gave up selling a lot of it and returned to living with everything she had. She then writes, less than 10 years later, all that money was gone anyway. A chunk of it had been invested in a high-rise office building in Pittsburgh that went belly up. Another significant portion was in Texas land that dried up during the oil crisis was then eventually foreclosed upon. When I got married, I sold my condo and bought a house during the California real estate boom in the 80s, only to give it back to the bank three years later when the bottom fell out of the market. The facts of life was canceled, the show, and I spent all the cash I had making payments on everything as long as I could. At 28, I was broke. She wasn't going to have it all. She could have given it all away, and yet... The wisdom of the world said, no, 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 you're being foolish. You should hang on to it. Have some security. And all along, her father knew what she needed. Now, again, of course, this doesn't mean that we should go home and take everything down to the Salvation Army. However, perhaps God is calling you to live in such a radical way that it shows, look, I'm not anxious for where I'm going to get these things because I know God will provide for me. So Jesus' point really is twofold. First, being rich in possessions on earth means that we're eventually going to lose them. This is what he says, because he says, look, you're going to lose them either to moths or thieves or the decay of time. And if you don't lose them to that, you're going to die. And that was the plight of the story in 
Jesus gave right before this, the rich fool who said, eat, drink, and be merry. Soul, your life is well. You have many years in front of you. And Jesus called him, you fool, tonight you are going to be before God. And so Jesus is saying, invest your resources in heaven where they'll never be taken from you. We worry about what can be taken from us, but 1 Peter 1.4 tells us of our inheritance that it is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So place your hope and your trust in that place, in that person, in which it can never be taken from you. And Jesus' second point is that if we're seeking true life, if we're seeking the kingdom, then our values will have changed. Rather than getting and having, our life gets changed to giving and sharing. Not only will we be like the fool living only for ourselves, but we will be living for God and thus a focus on others. It'll be a reversal of values. Rather than me, 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 it becomes you, you, you. Being secure in God and His reward loosens our grip on the treasures of earth. And this will happen, Jesus concludes in verse 34 by saying, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Whatever we treasure will call us, us to worry if we think it's in danger of being lost. In other words, the ultimate cure for worry is worship. If you realize that God made you for more than a good life, for more than wealth and health, more than children who are getting smarter and faster, more than great vacations, money in the bank, nice retirement. He made you for more than being the funniest child or being the best athlete or being popular or having the latest and coolest gadgets. God made you for himself. And if he is your greatest treasure, then you have no worries because he will never be taken from you. And so friends, the future can grip us. Worries can seem to suffocate us. Yet in the midst of life's uncertainties, Jesus gives us seven wonderful certain truths to consider. He made you for him and he will safely bring you to him. He cares for meaningless, unclean birds and you're of more value than them. You don't have any control over your life, but we are loved by the one who controls all things. God cares for and richly clothes plants, and he loves you more than them. He's not just some almighty creator, though. He's your loving father. And he goes, but not only a loving father, but a generous shepherd who gives you his kingdom. And lastly, he is the one worthy of all our worship, so seek him. So Jesus has given us seven wonderful truths to meditate on. When our thoughts go to our anxieties, to grab those thoughts and drag them back to these truths. To focus on one and get your mind focused on what God has said is true, rather than what you can conceive might be true. So what have you shown the spotlight of your thoughts upon? If the spotlight of your thoughts is on your situation, then anxiety will blossom like the weeds in spring. If your spotlight is on God, then the anxiety doesn't magically disappear, but it takes 
proper perspective. It's what catching the reflection of light does as it focuses on God. As we focus on God, the light shines where it truly should be. You may have heard of Helen Limmel. She was born in England in 1863. And at age 12, she migrated to the U.S. with her family and settled in Wisconsin. She had great singing abilities, and her parents gave her the best musical instructors that money could find. In fact, she even studied in Germany for four years. She sang so well that in the 1900s, she traveled throughout the Midwest to sing in churches. Churches. She married a wealthy man, taught voice at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and then at the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. However, she lost her sight, and due to her blindness, her husband left her. In the midst of this chaos, she was struck as she listened to someone read from a track called Focused. The words were, So then, turn your eyes upon him. Look full into his face, and you'll find that the things of earth will acquire a strange new dimness. You know, the spotlight was focused, not on her circumstances, but the ruler over her circumstances. And as the spotlight shone on him, her circumstances took the proper perspective. As she joyfully reflected, she wrote the song that we'll soon sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Those who knew Mary into the later years of life could tell you of her joy and enthusiasm. Though she eventually had to live on government welfare in a sparse bedroom, whenever anyone asked her how she was doing, she would reply, I'm doing well in the things that count. Her spotlight focused on the correct one and things. May God give us such eyes to look at him. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are often so overwhelmed by our anxieties. They seem to have a greater grip on us than you. And so Lord, would you again help us to turn our eyes to you? That we would, in our anxieties, come to you and cast them on, the, on you, knowing that you care for us. Lord, use your word and your spirit to strengthen us that we might not be people of little faith, but people who trust you in the good and the bad. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.